Well, good morning. I don't know about you, but do, do these weeks go by fast? Someone said it's, it's, life is like a roll of toilet paper. It's like the faster you, 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 the closer you get to the end, the faster it unrolls. I don't know about you. Are you here with me? Okay. Uh, welcome. If you're a guest with us, uh, just forget what I just said, but uh, glad you're here uh, with us. If you're watching online, thank you for doing that, and all as well as down in F3. Uh, we have uh, four services here uh, at Fellowship Bible Church, one on Saturday evening and three on Sunday morning, and one of those is downstairs in uh, our Fellowship 3 service. Now, typically, we go through a book of the Bible. In fact, next week, we'll be starting a study of the book of Acts. So if you want to read ahead and, and start looking through that book, feel free to do that. We're going to start with a deep dive into the author of that book, um, the medical doctor whose name was Luke, uh, and then we'll just we'll work our way through the, the gospel of Luke. But today we're wrapping up this series that we've been doing the last few weeks on our core values. Uh, we believe here as a church that we exist to, this is our mission statement, prepare and deploy dependent disciples of Jesus Christ who change their world for Christ as they're being changed by Christ. Preparing and deploying dependent disciples. And a disciple is simply somebody who's following Jesus. And we have defined that disciple by five kind of key uh, values or what we call our core values. And they're up here on, this, on the stage. We want to see people love God. And we want to see people love His truth. And then those are the vertical uh, values, the, the descriptions of a disciple person, a discipled uh, follower of Jesus. And they're lived out in the horizontal, loving our families and loving our church families we saw last week. And today we're going to talk about loving the world, loving the world, which means being able to share the love of Jesus. It means um, being able to convey to other people who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. If you think about it, we all start out here in the world. The Bible says that um, in Ephesians chapter 2, that we all start out as sinners. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, the Bible says, in which we formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 2 and says, you know, we were all falling short of God's glory. We, we were sinners. We all start out in that, in that scene of the world, and we, there's nothing we could do to uh, change that. There was nothing we could do to um, uh, earn God's favor, to get His attention enough, to get us to heaven. We can't be good enough to do that. And so the wonderful good news of the Bible is that, well, God loved us, and He sent His Son into the world to pay for our sins so that we could have a, uh, an eternal relationship with Him, that we could have a have a home in heaven, have a relationship with God who so loved us. And Jesus did that. He came and he died. He paid for our sins. He, he rose again. And he offers a free gift of eternal life. It's free. We don't have to earn it. We can't. We, there's no amount of good works we can do to get it. He simply says, believe. Receive this free gift. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again? That he's our Savior. In the moment of faith, the Bible says, we have our sins forgiven, we have an eternal relationship with God, and it's all because of His grace. And grace means He gives to us what we don't deserve. That's the way God is. He loves us that much. 
That's what he's done. So he offers us that free gift. Now, if we know and if we receive that free gift, the Bible tells us as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, as we're loving him and loving his truth and loving our family and loving the church, we're just not supposed to stay at kind of a holy huddle and high-five each other and, and love each other. We are to go into the world. We are to share the love of Jesus. And that's where it gets a little scary, shall I say. We get sweaty palms when we start talking about um, sharing the love of Jesus with other people. Someone once said, there's two embarrassing questions to ask any Christian. When was the last time you shared the love of Jesus with somebody? The second most embarrassing question is, when was the last time we even tried? It's so easy to have a, a talk about the lost, a talk about the lost mentality, as opposed to talk to the lost mentality. And a disciple of Jesus Christ, someone who, who's following Jesus, is going to do what Jesus did. And Jesus loved people. He just didn't love people who were like him, you know, that the same uh, uh, kind of person that he was. He loved the world. And there's a verse in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, that kind of summarizes Jesus' heart. When he sent out his disciples, he said, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. So pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest. And there's three simple little principles here from this verse. Very simple. He says, hey, look, there's a great opportunity out there. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is not that there's a, a limited supply of people who need to know Jesus. There's, it's like there's a limitless supply of people who need to know Jesus. Uh, the problem is not um, that people don't know Jesus. The problem is so many people do. There's a great opportunity, but the problem is that there's a great need. The laborers are few, says Jesus. The sad thing is that many of us could testify of our faith in Jesus Christ but we choose not to. And there are people who need to know Jesus. There's a great opportunity out there, says Jesus, but the great need is that the labors are few. And then he said, so we have a great God, so pray to him. Pray earnestly, he says, to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest, and literally the, the word to send, it's, that's kind of a mild translation, Literally, the word means to thrust out, to kind of push out, to um, grab by the nap of the neck and thrust out in there. Pray that God will grab us and push us into uh, relationships with people who don't know Him. Uh, disrupt our life so that, look, it's, you know, it's the old saying that if you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you want to share that with a friend who's dying of cancer? And we from the Bible, we have the cure for, for sin. We have the cure for eternal death. And it's a personal relationship with God, with Jesus. Uh, why would we not want that? And so sometimes God's got to take us by the nap of the neck and throw us out in the harvest field. I was talking this week with a guy from church here. He was meeting with another guy from church, and they were sitting at a restaurant and uh, eating their sub sandwich and just talking about uh, something about the Bible and having a a, a robust conversation about the Bible. 
And they noticed that the couple sitting in the booth right across from them were leaning into the conversation. Finally, the guy on the, on the, in the other booth couldn't stop himself, and he said, you guys are talking about religion, aren't you? And he said, are, are you Jehovah's Witnesses? He said, no, 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 we're not. Well, are, are you Mormons? No, no, keep, keep coming, he said. Um, and he named a few of the things, and um, well, well, why are you talking about this? And then there was a clear indicator from this guy on the, in the other booth that um, he, he did not like God. And he began to press these two guys from church here about uh, a relationship with God. And, and um, he, in, fact, in fact, I think he was writing a book about why we shouldn't believe in God. Um, there was a real edge to him. Well, guess what? God had just thrusted these two guys into the harvest field. And they, for the next hour, I hope they tipped the server well because they sat there for an hour in those booths talking about God. And when it was all over, they could see this guy change in his demeanor. And he walked away and said, you've given me a lot to think about, especially, he said, this idea that Jesus, this man of 2,000 years ago, this historical figure of 2,000 years ago, died for my sins and actually rose again from the dead. And he walked away with that idea in his mind. Now, these two friends were not planning to do that. They weren't going door to door and knocking. They were just there in a restaurant eating a sub sandwich when God thrust them into a harvest field. And they shared the good news of Jesus. We need to be thrust into the marketplace, into the harvest field. Scott Santmar, who was just up here, is our pastor of, uh, of uh, local outreach and evangelism. I'm going to invite Scott back up here because Scott, part of Scott's job description is to give us a, a, a kick in the, in the rear, so to speak, and help thrust us out into the uh, into the marketplace, into the world. Best job description ever, right? That's right, that's right. Uh, and pay it's commensurate. Um, we, Scott and I and Mike Lukens, are the only holdovers from the last millennium in terms of pastoral staff here. Isn't that something? We hired you when you were 14? Uh, just about, yeah. Just about. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Scott, uh, why is sharing the God, why, why is that important to you personally? Why? Yeah, so... For me, the, the, the thinking is that the great commission and the great commandment are true. That loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors, and being sent into the world to make disciples is true. And that we ha that's our job description as believers, and that drives me. Uh, that those, those things aren't just something that we just gloss over and we go, oh yeah, I've heard that before. But they are core, and what we, we are as, as believers should be doing. When we get into our study of the book of Acts, Acts 1-8 talks about how uh, Jesus told his disciples, uh, you're going to be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, in your local area, in your Judea and Samaria, and into the uttermost part of the world. So in our Jerusalem, in our community here, what are some things that uh, you are helping us do here as a church to kind of get out of our comfort zones? Yeah, so... Local Outreach here at Fellowship Bible Church, kind of, it's in four buckets, if you can imagine, kind of four buckets. The first bucket is our 
our uh, partnerships uh, with local ministries like Abacare, the Rescue Mission, the Salvation Army, uh, with Young Life, and some other organizations. A lot of them uh, hold their banquets here. Uh, a lot of them, we have folks who volunteer there, and we also uh, step into their worlds financially. So that, that's kind of the, the first bucket. The, the second is kind of the, the things we do as a body of believers to, to promote the gospel uh, in our community. Things like Follow the Star. Uh, then we do food share in the in, in February. That's another way we're literally stepping into their worlds. And then uh, mentoring. We're part of the mentoring programs at, at Winchester Public Schools. So that's that would be the second the second bucket. The third uh, is how we as individuals, how each one of us uh, are ambassadors uh, in the places that we live, work, and play. Uh, that, that we are those ambassadors. So we, we're looking for ways to get you back out there. Uh, there's a learning center class starting uh, this next weekend, uh, which is one of those tools to get you back out there. And then the fourth hey, bucket. Before we get to the fourth one, I just okay. want to give an example of what you just said on the third. Uh, one of our members here, Clint Lawyer, is the area rep for Fellowship of Christian Athletes and is the um, character coach for James Wood Middle School, uh, the uh, football team. And uh, he brought some team members, and Coach Joe Hall is here with us. Can you guys just stand? Thanks for being here. We're really glad you're here. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, make sure you do those sprints as hard as you can, because that's, uh, that's how you win football games. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay, hey, thanks for being here. So just, just being out in the community and um, uh, being salt and light. Yeah. So... The fourth one. Did you mention I, Follow the Star? I did, just briefly, but if you want me to spend more time on that, I can. But it's, if, if, you, if you've not been a part of Follow the Star, if you, or if you are new to FBC in the last couple of years and you haven't seen how that works, uh, it is a way that, that we promote the gospel in the community by inviting them to see the gospel lived out through the Christmas story. Uh, so the, the, the Christmas story is acted out. It's followed up by the gospel at the end. We invite people to to think a little bit differently about how they interact with what they typically see on Christmas, uh, which is lots of gifts and lots of, uh, uh, of, of stuff going on in the community. So we do that every year. We get somewhere between five, 6,000 people who come through every year to, to hear that. And about uh, 500 volunteers from FBC are involved in that. Yeah. 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 So the fourth one? Fourth bucket is, is church planning. Uh, in the last handful of years, we have planted two churches, the one being the Hispanic church here in town and the other being uh, the church in Shenandoah County in Woodstock. Uh, so that's, those, those are kind of the four buckets of local outreach. So let's talk a little bit about that, that fourth one and the, um, the church plant uh, because you were in, integrally involved in that. Um, Hispanic church plant a number of years ago, Ben and Gabby Santa Maria uh, are the pastors, Ben's a pastor there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, just a little over a year and a half ago, we planted the church down in Woodstock. Um, again, why is that important? Yeah, so we had a, about 50 families who were driving from Shenandoah County uh, up here every week to be a part of this, this congregation. Uh, and that's great. It's fantastic. We love that they were willing to do that, but most likely their neighbors and friends down there were not willing. So instead of making them build bridges all the way here, uh, we were building bridges back down there. 
And one of those couples, Wayne and Faye Berkmeyer, uh, they would drive up here to church, and, um, but they are key and integral players now in the church in Woodstock. And uh, we wanted you to hear their testimony this morning, so please watch the screen. Hi, I'm Faye Berkmeyer, and this is my husband, Wayne. So we came to fellowship um, about um, four years ago. When we began attending here on a regular basis, we knew at that time that uh, FBC Winchester had already begun some embryonic thoughts about starting a church down in the Shenandoah Valley. That drew us here. It's not the only thing, but it was a large draw for us because Faye and I believe very strongly in a local church as part of our lives. It's important to know that we wanted to be involved in this plant, not because we didn't want to be involved at FBC Winchester. We truly came to love the leadership in this church and respect them, the, the pastors, the elders, the ministry leaders, and just the people of the church really drew us to them. But as you can imagine, what we found was we live 40 miles away or 40 minutes away and it's easy to drive 40 minutes for just a Sunday morning service, but to really be connected to the community that you live around, it had to be something more local for us. And so this gave it an opportunity to draw close to people that live next door to us, that live in Woodstock and the surrounding towns around Woodstock from Strasburg to Edinburgh and, and further south even. And so it really gives us an opportunity that we love to be connected to our community in a ways that we probably could not so easily do uh, coming as far as Winchester from where we live. You know, when we, when we started, most of the people that came to church with us were from FBC Winchester. But a year and a half in now, or almost two years in, we're finding that probably half of our people are not from Winchester. They're people that have come in from our communities the surrounding towns, they've moved in the area, they've heard about us through other people, and, and they're coming that I don't think, it's not, you can't say they would never have come to Winchester, but it, it's made the opportunity so much more available to them, and so I think we've benefited from that. Well, it gives us an opportunity to, when we meet someone that we think, you know, might need a church or be interested, you can invite them and say, hey, we're right in town, you know, we're 10 minutes away or 15 minutes away or whatever it might be for them. Instead of saying, well, you know, it's all the way in Winchester that we're, we go to church. And, um, you know, some people would be not willing to do that. So they, they look elsewhere yeah. to see what else is out there. You know, earlier this year, we held a, a Seder at our church and Initially, we kind of viewed it as just something for the people of our, for our body to enjoy. But several of us brought neighbors with us. And, and we, we were able to witness this outgrowth of interest in the gospel by our neighbors that are not believers at all. They were just curious. But because of that, we've, they've been to our home. Uh, another couple with a Jewish background also has been able to come into our home and, and share the gospel from stem to stern with our neighbors, and, and that might not have happened if we had invited them to come up to Winchester to do something like that. 
So having it local and in your backyard has made a big difference. And there are other examples in our church, not just our community group, but others, where people are coming in from their neighborhoods to be involved in things. And it's just been a real blessing. Well, we've tried not to look inward for everything we do. And it's, it's easy, it's comfortable to look at your other members of the body each week and that's your familiar territory. But we've also found it as a way to encourage each other to step outside those bounds. And, and we're seeing it, we're seeing it take place in our church where people that are not involved in church, certainly not involved in any of the formal churches that we're familiar with, they're expressing an interest and they're curious about what we're doing, whether it's the cleaning woman or other people that have, that have just approached us and just asked, what, what are you all about and what are you doing up here? And it's given us a great opportunity to just share with them and invite them to participate with us. You want to be my disciples? Do what, do, do what I do. Um, care for people. Uh, start in your Jerusalem, in your immediate area, and, and then your Judea and Samaria. And um, so Woodstock, Shenandoah County, kind of was our, our um, uh, Judea and Samaria as uh, we branched out. Uh, this summer, uh, a team of our youth went up to a little island off the coast of Maine called uh, Vinyl Haven. Uh, for a number of years now, we have been going there, building a relationship with people up in that uh, that island. Um, Bill and Linda Foote, who are members here, have a home there. They introduced us there, and so for a number of summers, youth teams have gone up there. We've done VBS programs. Our counseling team has gone up there to assist in some things, and we've just built a relationship with this church to help them uh, encourage, be encouraged and, and reach their uh, small community of lobstermen and, and uh, fishermen up there on Vinyl Haven. Um, we uh, recently have uh, been involved in uh, some other things, uh, kind of a branch off our global missions. And uh, I'm going to invite Jim Poole. Uh, Jim is one of our pastors of global missions uh, to come. We have, um, in the last couple of years, opened up, uh, uh, seen an opportunity to open up down in Arizona to um, Native American um, opportunities. There's Indian Bible College down there. And recently in uh, South Dakota, we are connecting with Chris Little, Chris and his wife Kylie. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. They're, they're going to be here in a few weeks with us. Um, he's a Native American uh, pastor and uh, in the Lowell, uh, Lower Brule uh, Indian Reservation in South Dakota. And we got some kind of exciting things uh, getting involved there. 574 tribal groups in the United States. So why, Jim? Why, why are we getting involved here? Yeah, so first of all, I think one of the main things is that uh, there's two things that last forever. It's God and people. And so I think you know, it's God's heart for people, whether it's um, those here in town with the Hispanic Church or the mentoring program, um, you know, those in, in Woodstock that we just heard about, um, and then those, those in our own country. And so that's the main reason is just, you know, God created people for a relationship. <laughs> and yeah. so there's these 574, you know, recognized tribes in our, in our country that uh, God's just really wanting to have a relationship with our Native American family in our country. And, um, you know, we all know the history 
that uh, you know the U.S. government uh, relocated and uh, and displaced the tribes um, years ago, and so it caused just tremendous uh, devastation amongst uh, the, the various people groups and the tribal groups that uh, were, are, are in our country. And the 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 the, the statistics are staggering. The um, the amount of uh, alcoholism and and drug abuse and and abuse and physical abuse. Um, it's just it's just overwhelming, and so there's just a tremendous need uh, uh, right within our own backyard here, without us having to travel to Asia or Africa or Latin America. But it's right here within our own country. And then the early um, the early uh, efforts of of reaching these uh, you know these 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 Native Americans, these these tribal folks, um, it was well intentioned, but it was stories that we've heard. It was very 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 uh, legalistic, and um, in order to have a relationship with God, folks had to you know cut their hair and they had to uh, give up their uh, their language and give up their some of their cultural dancing and, and, and different different things. And so essentially in order for folks to become a Christian, then they had to uh, be, you know, become like a white man. And so it was, again, the, it was just very, very uh, destructive and, uh, and devastating. And it's a hard work because there's tremendous amount of mistrust because of what was done by the US government and then uh, what was done by some of the early uh, missionary efforts. So that's why we, that's why God has given us a heart for it, because um, God has a heart for people, and there's just a just a tremendous need. We you know we've looked and and it's hard to find um, a good uh, biblically based uh, strong local church almost anywhere in our country amongst Native Americans. Yeah, and you add to that, and these are very um, horrific statistics, but something like 95% of children growing up on a reservation are going to be abused in some form or fashion. And um, so the pain is there, the need is great. That's right. So what, what, what is God, what, what sort of things are we trusting the Lord for here? Right, yeah, so like you mentioned uh, this past summer, um, and two summers in a row actually, um, our youth uh, had, had two trips last summer, and this, this summer we took uh, our youth, uh, youth team to the Indian Bible College and they help with some of the physical projects around the campus there. Uh, India Bible College, it's a small Bible college. It's about 20 or 30 students there. And all the students are Native American, and they're just trying to help to uh, train and equip some Native American, young, young adult Native Americans to be able to go and, and to help reach uh, their own people. And so um, that's, we've been getting to know them through the years, and some of them were here in this past October uh, when we had our Global Missions Week, maybe you remember uh, some of them being here. And so through the years, we've just been developing a relationship with them. And so they've invited Scott and I to come uh, the first week of October and teach a class on uh, the meta narrative, the Old Testament literature, Old Testament survey. And so we'll be there uh, for, uh, for the first week of October to teach that class. And yeah, so you know, maybe beyond that, you know, maybe more opportunities with Indian Bible College to be a part of their uh, teaching, be a part of their uh, campus, be a part of their uh, school there to maybe further develop uh, leadership development with some of the students that are currently there, even coming out of there. Maybe when we talked about students finishing there, maybe even coming here for an internship once they finish there, just to get a local church experience. 
Yeah, the bottom line is, again, trust in the Lord to partner with a, a, a Native American pastor mm -hmm. that we can uh, uh, connect with. If you go to our, we've mentioned this, I think, before, but if you go to our podcast uh, page on FBC, our, our Global Missions podcast, the last couple of weeks has been an interview with Elijah Walls. He's a young uh, uh, Native American from, from Oklahoma going to seminary and um, just just trusting the Lord to open up those doors so that we can partner with um, some folks, encourage them, uh, support them, and see a, a church established uh, uh, on, on, uh, on a reservation that we can see the gospel witness uh, go forth. So um, how can we get involved? Because there's something potentially coming up next yeah, summer. Yeah, so you mentioned Chris and Kylie Little. And um, so last year, um, God gave us a chance to kind of to, to gather a number of Native American pastors and church leaders from around the country, from Florida, from Arizona, to Oklahoma, to South Dakota. And so we got, we gather all these folks together. Again, some of them were here uh, in October of last year. So Chris and Kylie um, were, Chris was there, and we've gotten to know Chris and Kylie more over the past um, year. Uh, Scott, Mike Thomas, others from our church have gone out to South Dakota to visit Chris and Kylie, so we're really developing this uh, relationship with them. They will be here in, uh, in four weeks for a long weekend. And so they are putting on a summer camp in, in North Dakota. They're from South Dakota, but the summer camp's going to be in North Dakota. This is a real specific way that us here in our congregation, in our local body, can be involved in reaching out to, to, to Native American ministries. It's going to be, again, Chris has put on, we as a church, are gonna have the chance to actually run the whole camp. And so everything from uh, teaching the kids, the youth, the adults, to the activities, to the, to the games, to the food, to everything. And so a tremendous opportunity for our church um, to, to, to be involved. There will be people there from 11 different tribes representing eight and nine different churches. And so Chris is the president of an organization um, with eight or nine different churches, and so that's that's the connection there. So mark your calendars. The dates are we have the dates June, June 11th, 11th through the 13th. Through the 13th. Yeah, we'll uh, 11th through the 17th. Out. So again, hey, this is something that that I might be in sure my family. This is a specific way that um, that we as a local church can be getting more involved with um, with God's work amongst Native Americans. Not only that, but um, Chris said, hey, this might a year or two, three down the road um, be where we can actually begin to have conferences with, uh, with native uh, pastors and church leaders within that area and within that association that he's a part of. And this is super exciting to us because this is what we've been doing around the world in Asia and Africa and Latin America for, for decades. And so for now for God to give us a chance to be doing this. In our Judea know, and Samaria, Exactly, right? we're super excited. Yeah, so Badlands Ministry Camp, we'll get more information about that, but just file that away because we gotta get planning on that, so. Thanks, Jim. So not only in our Judea and Samaria, uh, kind of in some of these places I've mentioned, but we continue to do our work down in South Texas with uh, Oscar Garza and the, the um, church in Donna, Texas, as well as uh, inner city work in Chicago with Curtis and Michelle Thompson. So a lot of things happening. Go into the world, says Jesus, be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but even to the uttermost part of the earth. Fellowship Bible Church has existed for 42 years, and from the very beginning, there was this burden for the outermost part of the world. 20% of our budget here on, uh, that we take in on Sunday mornings go to global missions. 
and uh, there's a, a growing need there as well. We are uh, serving um, 17 different countries. Uh, we're doing work with national leaders on four continents, uh, impacting literally thousands, thousands of people through our training materials and as we input into the lives of local pastors and leaders and as they reach uh, their world for Christ. So I'm going to invite um, Scott McMadigal. Scott is our also missions pastor up here. Scott and his wife Annette served for a couple of decades in Thailand uh, in, uh, with New Tribes Missions, now called Ethnos 360. And um, we appreciate Scott and his heart for the world. So why don't you share so loving the world um, mainly is one of our core values simply because the salvation of the world has been the center of God's plans and heart from before the foundations of the earth. And uh, this uh, visual that we have, we call the meta-narrative context, and it provides uh, the context for the whole word of God uh, to be looked at in light of God uh, planning preparing for, and carrying out that eternal plan of redemption. It's, it allows us to kind of overlay the Bible over, over this context and just see every passage in light of, of what stage of carrying out and fulfilling this plan God was at, in at the time. And uh, we can see from passages like 2 Timothy 1.9, 1 Peter 1, 19-20, that, that clearly before God created a thing, uh, before humans even existed, God predetermined this eternal plan of redemption that would be on the basis of grace and through Christ. And so then when we, in that light, when we come to Genesis 1 then, we can see that this is the beginning of God fulfilling that plan. And all through the Old Testament, we call the preparation time, the preparation stage, when God was putting into place uh, 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 types and pictures and foreshadowings, promises, prophecies, all pointing to the one that's going to come and fulfill the plan that he predetermined before the foundations of the earth. And then stage three is actually when Jesus came and fulfilled the plan on the cross. And then from really from Acts 2 on into eternity future, is all the results of, the, of that fulfilled plan. Uh, every promise, every doctrine, every command, um, uh, every, every event, all finds its relevancy in the fact that Jesus fulfilled that eternal plan of redemption. So when it comes to actually living out our core value, you know, a passage we often think about when it comes to global missions or loving the world is Acts 1.8. And it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what I want you to notice here is that Jesus isn't commanding his disciples to go and be witnesses, but he's actually making a statement and saying, you will be witnesses, witnesses. you will be my witnesses. And, and we know that it's, it's the Holy Spirit that did that work, that made them witnesses, when you look at them in Acts chapter 1, they had just witnessed Jesus die on the cross. They had just witnessed the gospel, but they didn't understand what it was about and what was accomplished until the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and he makes them his witnesses. Uh, it's also interesting to notice that when you look at the Greek word for the word witnesses, the word is martus, and it means just that. To be a witness, um, one who can give knowledge or one who can confirm something. 
But it's, but it's super interesting to note that this word in other passages is translated as martyr. Um, that, and, and so when you think of being a witness in, in the sense of being a martyr, like nobody, nobody sets out to be a martyr. Nobody wants to be a martyr. But, but there is a deep, there is such a deep conviction that people experience in their lives, either because of what someone has done like God or a belief that they have, that they're actually moved to be willing to die for this, this faith that they have. And so I think it speaks of, of it casts some light on, on what the Holy Spirit is doing to make us witnesses. It's, I think it's really interesting when I was looking at that word, witnesses, I think we can actually look back uh, through the Old Testament, through each stage of the fulfillment of the meta-narrative, and actually see that God was providing a witness, um, in Psalms and in Romans chapter 1, it says that creation stands as a, as a revelation of the greatness and the power, the wisdom of God. That revelation shows us how, how great God is. And so, so creation stands as, as a witness. We have various individuals, um, Adam, Abraham, Moses, uh, David, people that, are, that uh, God's interaction with them through the Old Testament have been recorded so that we can see through God's interaction in the lives of these individuals what God is really like and what his heart is like and, and what's important to him. But the one I really want to highlight is the nation of Israel. And in, in terms of God leading them out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. And, and so I'm going to I want to read this verse, uh, these verses in Joshua 2, 8 to 11. You know the story. You know all that God had done through the ten plagues and leading them out of Egypt and then parting the Red Sea and through the wilderness and then 40 years in the wilderness and, and providing water and food all those years and then finally getting into Canaan. Two spies are sent to Jericho and they go to Rahab's house and this is what she says to them. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion of Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things... Our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Like the nation of Israel became this witness of the greatness of God, not by them going out and trying to do anything, but by God doing such an amazing work in and through them and for them, um, just provided this witness to the world. Um, Joshua 9, 9 to 10, the Gibeonites, these were... Canaanites who realized that they were doomed, and so in order to deceive Israel into making a treaty with them, they disguised themselves as being people from afar. And so they came to him, and they're talking to Joshua here in these verses, and, and it says, So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, the Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. And so again, 
God just providing this, this witness through his interaction with the nation of Israel. We get into the Gospels, the uh, leading up to the, to the stage of Jesus actually fulfilling the eternal plan of redemption. Matthew 4, 23 to 25 gives kind of a summary of, of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Like in that, in that day and age, in that culture, in that society, these were the people that were looked down on. These were the people that were ostracized and the, the lepers were cast out of the city and nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. These are the ones that God chose to raise up to be his witness, to be the ones to prove that Jesus was truly the Messiah. Um, Matthew 7, 31 to 37 um, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him, and he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, don't go be my witnesses. Don't go and proclaim what I just did. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And so Jesus had done such an amazing work of of uh, just bestowing grace and mercy and healing upon this guy that even though he was commanded to not go and be a witness, not go and proclaim anything, he, he, he was captivated by it. He, he was compelled. He, he couldn't refrain from it. After Jesus goes to the cross and fulfills the eternal plan of redemption, uh, then in, we have the church age. And, and here we see the same thing. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And then we see after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit doing that work in believers, in the church, to make them his witnesses. In Acts 4.18-20, the disciples were arrested, and then they're being commanded to don't go and proclaim this message anymore. And this is their answer to them. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We, we, can't, we, we can't not tell this message. We have to tell this message. Like the, 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 the work, the, the grace that had been lavished upon them was, their eyes were open to this and, 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 they, and they grasped it to the extent that it just, it captivated them, it compelled them. They had to proclaim it. In 1 Corinthians nine sixteen, Paul makes this statement, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul thought Jesus was a fraud. 
Paul was trying to rid the earth of Jesus' followers. So how did he go from, from trying to rid the earth of Jesus' followers to saying, woe is me if I don't proclaim the gospel? The Holy Spirit revealing to him the abundance of grace that had been lavished upon him. Him recognizing how deserving he was of eternal life. Now having his eyes open to, to who he's been made as a new creation with a new spiritual identity. Seated in Christ at God's right hand. And woe is me if I don't proclaim that message. And so, so, and I think the Holy Spirit has continued to do the same thing in the lives of believers through every generation up to us. And, and I think a, a passage that really, really shows, gives a really good example of, of how this work is done is John 9, 1 through 3. <clears throat> and it says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Folks, this, that's, that's us. That's us, the church. We were all born sinful, separated from God, not because of our sin, <laughs> not because of what we did. But today, we as a church have been raised up to reveal the works of God, to reveal the, 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 the finished work of Christ that, that he has fulfilled and carried out that takes us from, from being people whose every thought and intent was only evil from childhood, born by nature, children of wrath, and actually recreating us and making us a new creation, clothed with the righteousness of Christ, seated in Christ at God's right hand, made worthy of spending an eternity with God in his presence. Like what a what a what a what a purpose for our existence. And this is exactly why we do missions the way that we do missions. Our as has been already shared, we we travel around the world, we meet with pastors and church leaders directly trying to unfold these truths for the leadership of the church so that they can turn around and genuinely establish the faith of their people so that their churches can truly live and function as God's witnesses in their cultural context. And so, in a nutshell, that's, that's, that's why we have this core value. So let me, let me pray and we'll, we'll close. Father in heaven, uh, we just uh, thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the eternal plan of redemption that you predetermined before the foundations of the earth. Lord, I, uh, it, it's, when you just look at the big picture context, and it's so clear, Lord, that it's, it's all of you. It's, it's all you're doing. And the only reason why we sit here today as your children worshiping you is because we have been the simple recipients of your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. I pray that you would open our eyes to recognize where we were taken from, um, how deserving every one of us were of just spending an eternity separated from you so that we can greater uh, value the abundance of grace that's been lavished upon us and, and the work that you've done to take us from being people whose every thought and intent of the heart is only evil from childhood to making us your, your very child, a new creation created with a new spiritual identity that makes us worthy of spending eternity in your presence. That, Lord, as we have our eyes open to these truths and, and are impacted by them in our own hearts, that we wouldn't, um, 
that it would be impossible for us to live without being your witnesses. And we just thank you and ask these things because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.